And it's so fitting with our topic for today, prayer, is what a beautiful prayer. The, the beginning of that chorus says, you're all I want, help me know you are near. That's a beautiful place to start with prayer. Um, oh, we need to get connected here, just a second. Um, so last week, when we kicked off our series um, to go through our, the spiritual disciplines, Marcus mentioned this book um, by Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline. There are extra copies here. Um, maybe this is the start of our PCF library, I hope. There, there are going to be several copies on the table out back. Um, so avail yourself to it if you're at all interested in reading more about the 12 that we're going through. Um, here's a great resource. And if you want another great resource, there's also copies of this book back there. This is a book by uh, Tyler Staten. It's called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Um, one of the best books I've ever read on prayer, I believe. It's challenging. It's, it's really deep. But it's incredibly encouraging and hopeful. It, it inspires you to want to pray. And that's my hope this morning. Um, so often when we, when we look up at prayer, we talk about prayer, maybe this is from my own experience, um, we're, it's almost like we're, we're guilted or shamed into how little we pray or that we don't pray more. Or maybe you're like me and you've struggled with prayer. You've had, it's really hard to pray sometimes. You go through seasons of life that you you feel like you don't pray. You don't, certainly don't want to pray. What do you do during those times? Because those are very real times in our lives. And yet, I think, as we, as we look at prayer and the discipline, the spiritual discipline of prayer, it's not something that we engage in to gain a certain outcome. It is simply this, we engage in prayer so that we can engage His presence. And that totally changes how we look at prayer and how we view prayer. So I want to read you several verses from Luke chapter 11. This is the account, I mean, it's very familiar, where the disciples come to Jesus um, in, in Luke chapter 11, and they ask Him, they observed Jesus praying, they listened to Him praying, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive. For we forgive ourselves, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. <clears throat> and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived and is on a journey, and I have, not set any, I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up 
and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead, instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So why don't we pray? Let me, let's start there. Why don't we pray? This is something I had to ask myself. What are the reasons that I don't pray? Well, one, who among us isn't busy? We talk about being busy all the time. We get tired of talking about it, but we are just crazy busy. I thought it was extremely interesting um, how, how life changed with the invention of the clock, first of all, but then also the light bulb, and how that changed the days of our, our productivity. We lost, we slept less, or we sleep less than we did before the clock came, before the light bulb came, because the light bulb allowed us to work longer hours um, instead of going to bed with the sun and getting up with the sun. And it, along with that became this increased productivity in technology. And by the 1960s, things like washers, laundry wash, wash machines, dishwashers, microwaves, and all those things were becoming, just starting to become really common in American homes. And so in 1967, there was a Senate subcommittee who got together, and here's what they predicted. Now, just listen, this is, it's almost hilarious, but they predicted that by night, because of all this technology that was there and the time savings that was available, they predicted that by 1985, Americans would be working 22 hours a week for 27 weeks out of the year, and the rest of the time would be spent in leisure time. It's like, it's almost laughable because of the time savings. But they were right with the time savings that it brings us. And we continue to develop things that save us time. But they were completely missed with what we do with the extra time that we have. So it's not that we don't have time savings. It's not that we don't have time. Sometimes we're just too busy. Or we're distracted. Anyone ever distracted by one of these, right? We're connected 24-7. And if we're honest, I think we all deal with the thing we call FOMO, fear of missing out. And that's why we always need to be connected. And so we're distracted. Maybe we are afraid of just getting it wrong. Maybe you're afraid of praying in front of a people or even by yourself because you're not sure how to do it. Well, here's the thing. The only way to get it wrong is to try to get it right. There's no wrong way to pray. It is simply that you pray. But then maybe as we keep going, we realize that we don't pray because to pray means that we become vulnerable. And I think there's a piece of us, we love the idea of being vulnerable here, 
But when we, it comes down to being truly vulnerable and letting go of control and the things in, the, in our lives that we long to control, we have a really hard time in letting go of that. And in prayer, when we come to our Father and we lay out everything that's deep within us, we allow ourselves to become vulnerable. And it's in this kind of honest prayer where we drop our guard and we allow the truths of what's really deep in our hearts to come to the surface. And sometimes that's really scary. To pray is to trust, it's to risk, it's to hope. And you don't have to be a Christian very long to realize that sometimes our hopes are dashed. And so rather than risk that, we avoid prayer. And if we don't avoid prayer completely, we simply pray prayers that are really vague and general, and we lose the power of prayer. Or perhaps you fear silence. We fear that our pleas for help and for intercession will only be met with silence. Perhaps on a deeper level, it's not the it's not just the silence that we fear, but what the silence begins to reveal. So think, think about this. If God is silent to my prayers, what does that do in your mind and in your heart? Does it start raising some questions? Does it raise questions like it does in my mind when God is silent? That does it, what does it say about me? Am I not worth His time that He would come and listen? Does He actually care? And maybe the greatest question of all that we wrestle with is, does God actually love me when we're met with silence? But it's in the silence, when we embrace that silence, that the hidden realities of heart come to light and we come face to face with the difficult questions. And one thing I want to say here is when we're met with silence and those questions come to your mind, there's no better place to take it than simply to our Father in prayer. Take those questions straight to the throne. Dallas Willard says this about silence. He says, silence is frightening because it strips us of no- as nothing else does. It's show- throwing us again up upon the stark realities of life and in the quiet. What if it turns out to be very little to just me and God? Silence and unanswered prayer are real. We're not going to dive deep into the whole idea, the whole thing of unanswered prayer. Um, the book that I recommended to you, by the way, there are, if I didn't mention it, there's copies in the back. Help yourself, take them home, read them, bring them back. Um, but he deals very beautifully with this idea of unanswered prayer. But when unanswered prayer, when our prayers are unanswered and we're met with silence, our, our reaction, or often our action, or our tendency is simply to withdraw rather than to face the fears and to face the silence and the unanswered prayer. And if that source, if that idea of praying is a source of pain or disappointment in your life as it has been for me, let me encourage you with something that Tyler Staten says in his book. He says, when trust is broken in a relationship... It doesn't get healed by silence and distance. Healing requires the courage to re-engage. 
So unanswered prayers, silence are real. But don't, let's not let it cause us to withdraw and disengage. The answer, the solution, not the solution, but the way to deal with the disappointment is to engage. Engage the Father. So why should you pray? Three reasons that I would suggest to us this morning that why we should pray. Number one is that prayer is where we encounter the Father's love. Prayer releases God's power on earth. And prayer is our expression of love. It's in prayer that we encounter the Father's love. Again, another, another quote from Tyler Staten. He, or quote, he says something that, along the lines of this, and I mentioned it briefly, that the primary obstacle when it comes to prayer is an inability to receive the love of God. And that's what hinders us from praying. We, had, we know in our minds, we know the verses where it says that God is love. We believe it here in our heads. But we buy, and he says that we buy that intellectually, but on a deeper level, Somewhere in deep in our emotions and in our bones, we don't trust it. And so we don't pray. But it is in prayer that we encounter the Father's love. The very thing that we, we tend to or react and avoid is exactly where we need to go to encounter the Father's love. Openness, honesty, and trust mark the communication of children with their Father. Those of you who have Young children especially know the truth of that, how young children are just brutally honest. There's nothing that they hide. There's nothing that they don't say. They'll just spill it and t- say it, tell it to you. It's in prayer with openness and honesty that we bring all the hard questions that we have about prayer and, and, and you'll discover, I, I've discovered, and I still have, I feel like I, I, told, I told someone that when I was preparing for this, I feel like I have more questions about prayers than I do answers. But that's the part of engaging. Engage in those questions with God. The hardest questions that you might have, engage with God in it. Prayer is, doesn't mean you need to have a certain verbiage or a style to be able to converse with God. You just bring yourself as you are. That is where we encounter His love. When we talk about prayer, we tend to think of outcomes, don't we? We, we, have, we have prayer requests, which we should. Don't, don't hear me wrong. We take the requests, and then we look for the outcome. But what about all the in-between? What about all the in-between? Outcomes vary. They they vary. Sometimes they take years, whatever it may be. But what about all the in-between? I believe it's in that middle ground where we wrestle with God that we truly encounter His love. And when we simply say, well, the prayer is not being answered, so it's not working, then we quit. We miss all the beauty of the, everything in the middle, everything in between. Not only well, some of the ways that we encounter the Father's love, one is 
When we skip the idea of it, thinking it as an outcome or whether prayer is working or not, we have a loving Father who delights in blessing His children. There, there's going to be times in your life when things happen that God does things in your life and for you and through you simply because He says, I love you, I want to bless you. I remember this was years and years ago, before I was even married, a friend and I, in something as simple as we were looking for some hunting ground. And hunting, hunting ground somehow, I don't know how it happened even anymore, somehow it was just dropped into our laps. And I remember my friend making the comment, you know, sometimes God just loves doing that for his children. He loves blessing you as his child. The very last verse that he read, I read, he said, those of us who are evil, if we knew how to give, know how to give good, good gifts to our children, how much more does our Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to his children? In that middle ground where we wrestle, our prayers become, rather than just being about outcome, they become about relationship and about engaging his presence. How do you just converse with God? There's some people here I would love to, love to pick their brains and listen, listen to them pray. Because I, there's, there's people I know in my life who they simply converse with God. What does that look like? Let me, this is just a snippet, but this is something that stuck in my mind from years ago. I was up in, in Canada on a wood crew cutting firewood for a mission. Anyway, and then every morning before we'd go out to cut firewood, we'd meet in the shop and we'd have prayer. And the one morning, this one, this one gentleman prayed, and we all bowed our heads to pray, and he just, he just starts in with, well, good morning, God, and he keeps on talking to God. And I remember it was just like, whoa, what? It was just conversational with God as a father and a child conversing, talking to each other. But it is more than just talking. It is listening. Prayer is listening. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, they observed something in how he prayed. It's not that they didn't have a clue how to pray, how to pray, but they observed something in the way that Jesus interacted with his Father in his conversation and his connection with his Father that struck them. And I believe that part of that is listening Prayer became a lifeline for Jesus, and it was that, and it should be that. It becomes that for us. Anytime that you're in a relationship with a person, at least a real deep relationship, and you have a real conversation with a person, a real conversation requires that you listen probably more than you talk. Can we apply that to the way that we pray? Soren Kierkegaard said this, A man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking, but then he, realized, then he came, became more and more quiet until in the, in the end he realized that prayer is listening. Prayer is listening. And it's in this prayer and in this listening that we encounter his presence that it leads to inner transformation. That's where we begin to change, and it's not so much about the outcome of my prayer. 
and the effectiveness or the working of my prayer, if it's working or not, it becomes about me being changed. Remember that we talked um, last week, the heartbeat of the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines that we're going through. If we miss this, I think we're missing everything in the, in the disciplines. They are to lead to inner transformation. They're not to become something that we worship or something that we just have to do, but they lead us to something deeper. They lead us to inner transformation. Richard Foster in that book, um, Celebration of Prayer, says, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. So in prayer, resist the urge to ask the question whether it's working. I think we need to change how we think about it and simply bring all yourself, all of yourself, all your questions, all the pain, everything that's there, bring it to the Father. And as we engage the Father and are transformed, we will discover that our desires and even our prayers begin to change. Which leads me to my second point. Prayer releases God's power on earth. There's story after story after story of answered prayer. Sometime read the story um, of how the early church father, Augustine, his salvation experience how he came to a relationship with Jesus, and it was deeply rooted in the prayers of a praying mother. And we talked about, Tim actually mentioned this morning, the answered prayer for, um, for Katie. And we can think and listen to all these answered prayers. And sometimes we have reactions to it. Well, do you know what? I'm so glad that Augustine came to faith. I'm so glad that God answered your prayers, but what about this? What about all the times I prayed and I was met with that silence or nothing? Again, I'm going to just point you to, the, to that resource, that book, to read more about unanswered prayer. But there is something powerful that happens when we as God's people pray in how it releases the, the power of heaven to come and do its work here on earth. Now, I think if, if I would truly grasp that and believe that in the depths of my heart, and all of us would, I don't think you could keep us from praying. I don't think we could stop. We couldn't keep the doors shut because we'd always be wanting to pray and pray and pray. God is inviting us into His work, and He moves powerfully through the prayers of its children. It's not that he needs us to accomplish anything, but he, that he chooses this all-powerful, all-knowing God who's not bound by time or space, chooses to use you and I, and the avenue that he uses us is through prayer. That's how he uses us. The story of Nicholas von Zinzendorf, I think that's how you say his name, an incredible, incredible story <laughs> he was a man who was born into a wealthy, prominent family. In his early 20s, um, and this was soon after he was married, he used his wealth and he purchased a huge estate. He purchased a massive estate. And then soon after he had purchased his estate, there, were, there was a group of refugees Moravian refugees who were fleeing persecution who came to him and they needed a place 
of safety. And so he took in, he, he used his wealth, he used his massive estate, and he actually split it up and gave it to all these different refugees. And it became known as the, the town became, there's a town there now, I think it's in the current Czech Republic, Hermut, Herhut, Hernhut, I think is how you pronounce it. But his, the estate became a village. But the, the, the thing I want us to, to grasp here is Zinzendorf and this group of refugees were incredibly hungry to see the church regain its, its power and its effectiveness in the world. Their efforts were sincere. They tried their hardest, but in a few years they realized that all their determination and their willpower to make a church that's effective was not working, and they soon became disillusioned. But when they were confronted with their weakness, they began to pray. They began to pray. They committed to daily rhythms of prayer. And then this tiny group, 48 refugees, along with Zinzendorf, they began meeting for prayer. And what started out as a small prayer meeting, it went on for 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, for over 100 years. And it led to some of the greatest revival and missionaries being sent out that has ever happened in, the, in, our, in our world that we know. You see, I don't think they set out to be a big missionary movement or have to set out to bring about a great revival. Zinzendorf said this, and I have the quote up here. He said, I have one passion It is He, only He. And as we seek, as we seek to engage the Father in His presence, it releases His power. I don't think there's ever been a true revival that has taken place that has not come out of prayer. The one thing that releases God's power here on earth. Lastly, prayer is our expression of love to the Father. The discipline, the spiritual discipline of prayer and why we need to create these habits or maybe we call them rhythms in our lives of prayer where we intentionally engage um, in prayer is because it moves us into engaging His presence even when our feelings don't want to. I guarantee you're going to have times when you don't feel like praying. But there's power in the discipline of having set rhythms in our lives where we engage His presence through prayer. The commitment to create a daily rhythm of prayer is a commitment that could only be defined as falling in love with someone and then creating a discipline structure around it for those times when love falters and feelings dissipate. Henry Nuon says this, prayer is the act by which we divest ourselves of all false belongings and become free to belong to God and to God God alone. So prayer is where we encounter the Father's love and it's where we reciprocate and show God and express our love back to our Father. 
So before prayer becomes about answers and outcomes and effectiveness, it is about love. It is a way that we express to God that we love Him, that He is important enough that we long to spend time with Him. It's how we express ourselves to God in spite of us, who, a God who in spite of us delights in us. God looks forward to the time that we spend with Him in prayer. Do you truly believe that? That God looks forward to that. Conclusion. To pray is to learn. We learn how to pray. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And I, thought, I found this thought really freeing because it's not needing to have it figured out. Get it figured out. It is simply something that is learned. I'm not going to read all the quotes up there, but Richard Foster says, by praying, we learn to pray. And the very last one by Don John Chapman, pray as you can and don't try to pray as you can't. So think about that a little bit. Pray as you can, not as you can. It's not as you can't. So if praying for an hour is, looks really, really daunting to you, and it would, the idea drives you crazy, then don't. Pray for two minutes. Pray for a minute. If the idea of praying out loud is overwhelming or you're easily distracted, maybe just get out a pen and paper and write your prayer in your journal. If, you're, if it's hard just for you to... to Sit in a room somewhere at home and pray. Pray when you're driving. Pray when you're running errands. Wherever it is, it doesn't matter. Pray as you can. I want us to remember that. Pray as you can. It doesn't matter. And for all of us, it's going to be different. But where some, every one of us can pray in some way. And the only way that we can miss it in prayer is by not showing up and not praying. So simply pray as you can. Some practical ways that we can do it. Practice stillness and silence. Practice stillness and silence, and that comes through... There, there are rhythms in prayer, and I'll show you... I'll give you an example or ways that we can do that here in a little bit. But there's power in stillness and silence before God. It's where we listen. It's where we empty ourselves of our, our own thoughts and junk and rubble Maybe it's sitting somewhere. I mean, maybe it's going on a walk, whatever it is. Silence and stillness. Pray through the Psalms. Pray through Scripture. Pray in song, music. Listen to music. Let the music speak for you the words that you don't know how to express. Pray with your journal. Pray with technology. Can we use our technology for something good? So I'd encourage us to look at ways that we can develop habits of prayer in our lives. We've got habits and rituals. Every morning when we get up, we probably all do the same thing in a certain order, or at least pretty close. Find a way to make prayer a part of that, but not only in the morning, throughout the day. And what that looks like for you is going to be different than it does for me, but let me just give you a couple of ideas, things that you can maybe tap into. The app that's up here, it's called The Inner Room. It's a, just a great tool if you want to create rhythms throughout your day to pray. It's a great, great place to start. 
Um, Pete Scazzaro has, has a, it's different than a devotional. They call it daily offices. It's broken up where you, it's, again, it's creating these rhythms throughout the day where you stop in stillness, you engage in prayer, you end in stillness and listening, and you go throughout your day again. But it's creating these rhythms in our lives, great ways to do that. Whatever, however you do it, somehow create the habit of praying in your life and into your day. The only way to, to get it wrong is to try to get it right. So just pray. Find a way to engage His presence. That's the heartbeat of prayer. It's not about getting it right. It's not about the outcome so much as simply engaging the Father, engaging His presence, you and Him, every day. Tim, do you have a closing song? Just stand with me. Let's pray, and the worship team can come and close the service with, with a song. God, this morning, prayer leaves us with so many questions. We have so many, so many things that go through our mind, ways that it brings out some big, deep questions within us. And I pray that, if nothing else, we remember, we learn, that we can simply bring those hard questions to you. You're a father who longs to engage with your children. And it's through prayer that we engage with you. So I pray that we would be faithful in doing that, that we'd, you'd create in us a desire for more of that. Because I believe that the more that we engage in your presence, the more we desire, the more we desire it. Because your presence can't be compared to anything else that we experience in this world. So give us wisdom to know how to make practical applications to actually create rhythms in our lives where we engage you in prayer and in communication every day. In Jesus' name, amen.